Well, we're coming back to the year verse, Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, which we began to take a look at last week. So I welcome you to, uh, to open a Bible and to turn to Second Timothy chapter 1. If you're using the church Bible, that's going to be on page 995. I am so very grateful to God for our year verse. And there are many reasons why. I mean, chief among them, though, is it's a wonderful text that brings the gospel right into a a struggle that we all have. Now, you know, there are some struggles, some struggles that are really, really hard, like this one struggling with fear, worry, uh, uh, opposition, uncertainty. And we'll get into that. But there are other struggles, uh, some struggles that that are easy to fix. So, for instance, here's a letter from a a little boy named Larry. A letter that he wrote to God. Here's his letter. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much. Here's a solution. If they had their own rooms. And, you know, it it seems to be a good solution because as he closes out his note, it works with my brother. If only all life's problems were solved so easily. But they're not. And 2 Timothy 1.7 brings the gospel right into the struggle uh, with uh, this guy named Timothy. A struggle with fear and uncertainty. Now it's Paul who's writing this, this letter here. Paul, the apostle Paul is just, he's such a giant. He's a towering figure of faith and the gospel. Um, One of my go-to authors is a guy named John Piper. And he wrote a book recently released called 30 Reasons Why I Love the Apostle Paul. 30 reasons. I love ravioli. I could only come up with nine reasons why I love ravioli. 30 reasons. My point is, Paul's a spiritual giant. He's huge. He's over the top. But Timothy. Now, Timothy is accessible. Timothy, he has feet of clay. I can relate to Timothy. You can too. What Paul is telling Timothy, as he struggles with fear, as he struggles with being timid, you know, timid Timothy, what Paul is telling him in our year verse is this. Timothy, I want you to be To live faith courageous. This is what I want. To live faith courageous. You have some gospel challenges there in Ephesus. You've got some leadership difficulties there in Ephesus. Don't shrink back. In fact, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7 in just a minute. Verses 1 through 5. As Paul's moving toward giving him that advice. Don't shrink back. In verses 1 through 5, he reminds Timothy of how Jesus was work, at work in Timothy's life, what Jesus has done for Timothy, how Jesus has placed people in his life to strengthen him in his faith. In other words, he's helped Timothy reset, recalibrate his identity before he gives them the exhortation of verses 6 and 7. So before I read verses 6 and 7, in a general way, I want to reset your identity. If you have been born again, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, then you have been raised 
to a whole new life. In Christ, you have been given everything that you need, everything you need for life and for godliness. In Christ, you are the light of the world. In Christ, you are the salt of the earth. In Christ, you are part of God's people. And we are, we are your brothers, your sisters, and you are God's child, God's son, God's daughter. And so, verses 6 and 7, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is God's word. Father, take that year verse, verse 7, and now open our eyes, unstop our ears, help us to see, to hear, to listen, to understand, to perceive, so that we can receive this truth into the depths of our hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I was praying through the sermon this week. Throughout the week, I pray through what God wants me to be saying on Sunday mornings, asking the Holy Spirit what he wanted me to say this morning, allowing him to speak uh, through the verses I studied it, speak to me, you know, and, and speak to me, I was saying, speak to me and then speak through me. And Thursday morning, when I was getting ready to come into the office, uh, I, it's like the Spirit nudged me. I, I had this real sense. Matthew, you need to put a question out there at the beginning of your sermon, right up front. The people in the congregation need to ask themselves this question. What is God asking me to do right now that requires me to be faith courageous? I mean, that's what Paul's asking Timothy to do, to be faith courageous. Another way to put it, what's the scary step of obedience that God is asking of me? Let me shorten that down. Scary step of obedience. Scary S. Step S of O. Obedience, O, S, S, O, O. What is your scary step of obedience right now? Your S, S, O, O. What is it? Is it sharing the gospel with someone? Someone you know, you, this person really needs to understand the gospel. I, I need to have the courage to share it. Is that it? Or maybe it's a, a repentance and a coming clean about something. You're saying to yourself, I, I, I've 
dragged down by this thing. I need to repent and come clean about it. Maybe it's initiating a reconciliation. Initiating an apology, initiating a forgiveness. Maybe it's taking a stand about an evil or a sin or an injustice in your family, in your workplace, in your community, something like that. Maybe it's reworking your finances so you can glorify God with your money in a a deeper and more profound way. Maybe it's doing something to recharge your marriage. Maybe it's resetting some priorities. Maybe it's reconsecrating your singleness. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what your scary step of obedience is right now. But, but God, the Holy Spirit, is pulling something out. Something that you know he wants you to do. Now you say, well, actually, I, I don't have an SSOO. Okay, well, maybe you're between SSOOs. Maybe, maybe you just took a scary step of obedience, worked it through, and God's giving you a little pause here, and that's fine. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, life is just too convenient right now. Maybe comfort and routine, halo pub, your dog, maybe these have all hypnotized you. So you're thinking, you know, life's pretty good. Uh, why get all worked up about Jesus? I, I just don't really need him. In which case, your scary step of obedience would be to ask God to shake you up and to realize that you, like everyone else, desperately, you desperately need Jesus today. All of us need Paul's advice to Timothy in this text. All of us struggle with fear. All of us need him to come into our lives and say, listen, it's time for you to be faith courageous and take that scary step of obedience. Now, here's what we're going to do this morning. Last week, the spotlight was on the first half of verse 7. God has not given to us a spirit of fear, not given to us a spirit of cowardice. Today, the emphasis is going to be now on the second half. Instead, God God has given to us a spirit, or the spirit of power, love, and self-control. Three nouns. And each noun, in succession, is part of a faith-courageous model of taking a, a scary step of obedience in a way that impacts God and glorifies, I mean, impacts people and glorifies God. Three nouns. Power, love, self-control. And with those three nouns, you get the beginning, you get the middle, and you get the end of the change that God is wanting through that scary step of obedience. Let's work through the nouns and see the flow See how it relates to us in our SSOO. First noun is the noun power. And this is the noun that helps you to decide before God to take that scary step of obedience. This is the word that gets you to say, enough is enough. I've got to do something about that SSOO. The time has come. 
Now, the word power there, that word power is one of Paul's favorite words. It's used a lot in the New Testament. And of its uses, 60% of them are found in the Apostle Paul. You say, well, that's not surprising. Paul wrote a lot of letters. And Paul did write a lot of letters. But the fact is that if you, if you, in terms of the amount, the length of the letters, if you stacked up all the, of Paul's letters against, against the rest of the New Testament, his writing accounts for less than a quarter, actually 23% of the New Testament. So when in 23% of the New Testament, someone is using a particular word 60% of the time, that's, that's an important point of data. And this word, one of Paul's favorites, is one of those words that I was talking about last week. Those of you who are here will remember I talked about how, uh, you know, if you go to a paint store, in the paint store you can get a, a paint strip with, say, all, all the different shades of, of gold and yellow. There they are, kind of nuanced out for you. This shade has a little bit of gray in it. This one has blue, so it's cool. This one has, it's warmer. It has maybe orange, a little bit of brown in it. You know, all nuanced out for you, the different shades of, of yellow golds. Well, this word sits along other words in the New Testament. Words like strength and might and ability and force and authority, and control. And people have nuanced these words. And there's a particular shade to this word here, power. Uh, Sometimes you'll hear about this word. People will say, well, this is the word uh, in the Greek, dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. And kind of the implication is, therefore, the word talks about kind of explosive power, miraculous power, you know. And that's true sometimes. And there'll always be an indicator in the, in the context that it has that sense. But most of the time, the word means something a little different. On the paint stick, in relation to the other words... The word here's how the, the word scholars put it. Here's what the word means: the capacity to exert force in order to do something. Now, honestly, I mean that's a nice definition, but you know that word capacity exert, you know, in order to that that that's a little too high and highbrow for me. So here's how I put it. Here's Matt's definition of the word: the ability to do what you need to do. It's the ability to do what God wants you to do. Power in Paul, that's what it means. The ability to do what you need to do. The ability to do what God wants you to do. God has given to you, if you are a follower of Christ, he's given to you a spirit of power. The spirit that can enable you to do what God wants you to do. And that is exactly where Timothy needs to begin in his, in his challenging situation. To say to himself, oh my, the stuff that I just dread doing, that I'm frightened to do. God gave me a spirit of power. I can do what God wants me to do. 
Faith, courageous living begins when you look at your scary step of obedience and no longer say, I just can't handle it. It's too big. It's too much. Well, you stop saying that. And instead, you say something like, wow, Jesus did not die and rise again to pour upon me a spirit of cowardice, a spirit of defeat, a spirit of weakness. Jesus died and rose again to pour upon me a spirit of power. And in cooperation with him, I am able to do what God wants me to do. This is great news. It has been a faith-building pastoral privilege for me. Over this previous week, after last Sunday's sermon, to talk with a number of you and have you share with me some of your faith-courageous actions and taking scary steps of faith. A couple of you told me how you stepped up to a real problem, a, a, a real moral or justice issue in your places of work. Others of you have shared how you recognize it is time for me to get the help I need with this persistent problem, to get this monkey on my back that I just can't shake to get it off my back. I heard about one person who was facing a private business meeting and had to say some real hard, straight truth. I heard about a family that several years ago left house and home and friends and city and job and country in order to come here for religious freedom. This past Thursday night, your elders uh, had to make a, a faith-courageous decision about a particular matter. I mean, the details of these things, I'm putting them generally, because the details, obviously, they're pastoral. It'd be inappropriate for me to, to go into the details. But, but Here's what I'm saying through these examples. Praise be to God. This church has plenty of faith, courageous heroes. One might be sitting right next to you or behind you or alongside you. And you won't see... We talk about superheroes. You won't seek some sort of, you know, superhero suit of stretched lycra, you know, with some sort of bold pattern on it and a helmet on or something like that. Faith courageous heroes, faith courageous Christians are just ordinary people. You, me, ordinary people doing out of the ordinary things because of an extraordinary Savior. Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise be to his name. My, my good friend, my at times advisor, a former pastor, Kent Hughes, wrote this. If God is calling you to do something beyond your natural capabilities, you can take heart from Timothy's life. In truth, God calls us to, uh, always calls us to serve beyond our natural endowments, no matter how great they are. 
So take heart. God's call is always too great for us to do in ourselves. But if he's asking you to do it, he will equip and enable you to do it. God's not given you a spirit of cowardice. He's given you a spirit of power. That's where it all begins. So once you've decided to take your scary step of obedience, then we come to the second word in the chain here, and it's the word love. And this word love helps you to motivate to to shape and form your scary step of obedience. Once you've decided to move forward, then it's love. It's Christian love, agape love, by which you should shape and motivate. Because the fact of the matter is, courage can be motivated by all kinds of things. All kinds of things. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Those of you who like Marvel comics, here's an example. This is the Hulk. All right, the Hulk, his street name is Bruce Banner, and like, I guess for most of the time, he's, he's kind of ordinary Bruce Banner, mild-mannered, kind of quiet. But when he starts to get angry about something, and the anger builds, and he gets angrier and angrier, and eventually gets furious, and all of a sudden, he becomes the Hulk. And he does courageous, powerful things. His current is fueled. By anger. It's not what Paul's talking about here. Sadly, there are plenty of Christians who do seemingly courageous things out of anger, out of scorn, out of hatred. Do not be deceived. That is not gospel. That is not the spirit God gave us. Let me give you another example. This one will be a little bit more chilling because it's real. Let's think about suicide bombers. All right? Suicide bomber straps on the bomb, walks into a marketplace, detonates. People see it as courageous. But it's not Christian courageous, not gospel courageous. It's often drug-induced, motivated by a a sense of religious triumphalism. This is how we deal with our enemies. We destroy them. We blow them up. My point is that courage can be motivated by envy, revenge, hatred, scorn, violence, racism, pride, all kinds of things. But Christian courage should be different. Faith courageous means love. That's the motivation. Agape, Jesus-like love. Doing what's right, doing what's true, doing what's kind to the other person, often at a cost to yourselves out of a heart of affection and commitment to the good of the other person. This is Jesus-like love. And we are ready to take that S-S-O-O, scary step of obedience, when we have prayed and worked our hearts through so that we can can say honestly, I truly want 
Christ's love to be seen through my courageous action. You know, we're here in Princeton. And a big part of the culture here is high value placed upon knowledge, information. Here is a question I don't think we can ever grow tired of or should ever grow tired of and asking ourselves when we're thinking about being faith courageous in an, an environment like this, are you known as someone who speaks the truth? I'm just going to speak the truth. Or is you, are you known as someone who speaks the truth with love? And it's the former, it's the latter, I should say, it's the latter that Paul calls us to in Ephesians chapter 4. Speak the truth with love. That's Christian courage. And when we deal first with our own blind spots and our sin, something that takes faith courage, then we gain the moral and the spiritual authority to help others in love deal with their sins and their blind spots. So the second word gives shape to taking that scary step of obedience. So now we come down to the last word. Uh, God gave us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And I'm going to translate that word clear thinking. Uh, this is the word that helps you set the practical hows and whens of that scary step of obedience. Um, if you look at the list there of the three nouns, the first two, power and love, they're really common. They're all over the New Testament. But this word, this is the only time the word's used in the New Testament. Obviously, the only time that Paul uses it. And it's an elusive word. It's really hard to translate. And in part, that's because it is such a distinctively Greek, ancient Greek virtue. I mean, this is one of their chief virtues, this particular word. And it's just hard to get it, catch it in English. Here are some of the translations in English kind of struggle with the word. Self-discipline, self-control. That's how the ESV reads. A sound mind is another one. Next, we have sensible thinking. Balanced, logical, sensible thinking. Next, we have sound judgment. Finally, we have prudence. It wasn't until I was a Christian that I learned that prudence is not a woman's name. It's something much more important than a woman's name. Although if you're named prudence, it's great. You've got a great name. I'm going to take all this and I'm going to put it in that phrase, clear thinking. Clear, insightful thinking that's balanced, sensible, and is filled with the stuff of the book of Proverbs. Knowledge and insight and wisdom and practical skill and understanding. The kind of thinking that doesn't get carried away in a situation. Doesn't act in reaction mode. That sees a situation and yourself and others and God. The way God sees all that. True courage, being faith courageous, unless circumstances are emergency, 
True courage takes the time to think through and pray through and talk through the when and the how of your action path. That's why you get lots of practical statements, especially in the book of Proverbs, about this sort of stuff. So here's one. You know, do you see people who are hasty in their words? Don't think that because someone's hasty and, and, and throws something out there that they're necessarily courageous. The book of Proverbs says, well, there's probably more hope for fools than for them. Or again, Proverbs 14, 16. The wise are cautious and avoid danger, but, but fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. Do not confuse reckless confidence with courage. Let's say you're on Facebook. And you see a post that is truly offensive and wrong, evil. Your strong temptation would be to post right away something like, you know, where do you get off? You say, well, wait, wait, oh, no, no, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I got to say that in a Christian way. So you write instead, you say, uh, in my humble opinion, where do you get off? I don't think there's much of a difference there. Chances are that that wasn't so much courageous as it was careless, hasty, and damaging. The spirit of clear thinking gets us to stop and to think and to consider and to plan. As James says, go to verse. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, even on Facebook. So there we go. We've got a year verse. For God gave us the spirit not of cowardice, but of power and love and clear thinking. Got so much practical advice for all of us, especially at a time and in a year in our church with so many uncertainties, so many fears. Go back to that SSOO, that scary step of obedience. I don't want you to let that SSOO go untaken. I want you to be faithful courageous. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, you in Christ have the spirit of Christ in you. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that's in you, the Holy Spirit. And because you have that spirit, first of all, you have the spirit of power in Christ. You can take that scary step of obedience. And you have, in that spirit, you have the spirit of love in Christ. You can fuel your action for the good of others and out of true affection. And you finally have the spirit of clear thinking in Christ. You can work out the hows 
and the, and the winds of a, of a best response. Normally I would pray at this point. But what I want to do today is I, I want you to pray. To pray quietly. I want you to go back to that S-S-O-O, that scary step of obedience that you identified when I raised the question at the start of the sermon, what's the S-S-O-O, what's the scary step of obedience that, that the Spirit's asking you to take right now? What is it? I want you to take that S-S-O, and I want you to, during this time of quiet prayer, I want you to just pray through it in relation to the three words and how you need from God power or love or clear thinking in relation to it. So we're going to have a couple of minutes of quiet. Uh, while you're doing that, every 10 seconds or so, I'm going to speak some phrases from a song that captures so much about our year verse. And that will help move you along as you process your SSO and Paul's promise to Timothy here. So let's pray. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Christ Jesus died to free me. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Christ Jesus has given me his spirit. longer a slave to fear. His spirit is the spirit of power. I'm no longer a slave to fear. His spirit is the spirit of sacrificing love. longer a slave to fear. His spirit is the spirit of clear thinking. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Father God, we all need these words. 
we all need your spirit to take what Paul has said to Timothy and to say it to us. So speak, for we listen. Give us power that we may do. Give us love that we may do it like Christ. And give us clear thinking that we may do it like Christ at the right, the best time. In the great name of Christ.